Please join me now in John chapter 17. We're back in the upper room with Jesus. And today we're going to talk about security. You and I know we live in a world of uncertainty. In fact, we began this worship service acknowledging the tragedy of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and the tens of thousands of lives lost and many others are suffering through all that. And so how difficult. And, and so it's a reminder that even the ground beneath our feet can let us down. And maybe you're here and you think, I don't, I'm not going through an actual earthquake, but maybe through trials and troubles, you're experiencing some trauma in your life. You feel like your life has been shaken off a foundation. And you're wondering, is there any certainty in this life? Or maybe it's just living in this culture where everything has changed so rapidly, really in the last 10 to 15 years, things that even believers and unbelievers didn't question a decade ago, now everything's up for discussion and things that should be obviously true, no longer regarded as true in the culture. You feel like everything's being shaken. The civilization's been shaken. Is there any certainty? Is there any security? We're going to be reminded through the words of Jesus today, oh, there's security. And it's found in belonging to Jesus Christ. So we're in the upper room with Jesus. We're in his high priestly prayer now in John 17. We started studying this prayer last time, verses 1 through 8. But today, let's go into the words of Jesus, picking up in verse 9. John 17, 9, Jesus praying says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So we talk about security today. Here's our first point. Our security is in our identity in Christ. Our security is in our identity in Christ. Maybe you remember back in John 16, Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. So if you know the one who's overcome the world, there is tremendous security in that. But now we're in a prayer and Jesus is talking to the Father and he starts talking about how secure these believers are. First of all, notice who he is praying for and who he is not praying for because he tells us. So who, who is the them in verse 9? I'm praying for them. Who are those? Well, he's talking about the 11, the remaining 11 disciples. He loves them. He's been preparing them in this upper room discourse for his departure. And now he expresses that love for them and praying to the Father about them. But who is he not praying for? Well, he tells us, I'm not praying for the world. Verse 9 again, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. So once again, we come to that word world. And here's a context where it means that world system that is opposed to Christ and opposed to his followers. And so we, in this life, we contend with that same world. You and I know we live in a context where we feel like, no, there's not any encouragement in the culture to follow Jesus. 
There's every encouragement to renounce Jesus, to renounce the word of God. We live in that same world system that Jesus mentions here. So it's true that God loves the world, meaning the people of the world. But what he does not love is this movement that's against him and his followers in the world. I want you to see with me here the distinction that Jesus has in his mind here. He has love for all people, but a special love for his own. He has a distinction between those who are his and those who are not his. Perhaps you remember John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God loves all people, but oh, how he loves his people in a very distinct and special way. Maybe I can illustrate it like this. When our daughter Hillary and son-in-law Evan and grandchildren lived overseas, we would look forward to when those times would come when they would be back in the U.S., whether for vacation or stateside or something like that. So we would go along with Evan's family, Clyde and Elaine, Tammy and others. We would be there at the airport. And of course, you can't go to the gate. You go as far as you can go to see your loved ones coming off a plane. So you go to the security checkpoint. And I can say in truth that everybody coming off that plane, I would have a sense of love for them. I know they're created in the image of God, all of them coming off the plane. I would want good things for them. And so in a sense, I say, I love all them. Oh, but when my people came through, when I'd see my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandkids, my heart did something different when they came. You catch a glimpse of them and your heart jumps. These are the ones and all these people that I can say that I love in a sense. I want to hug these. I want these to come home with me. And I know that's not a perfect illustration because I think God's love even for the unbelieving world is greater than what I would have for random people coming off a plane. So my illustration, not perfect, but I'm just trying to make the point that you are distinct though on the earth from all the rest of the world. All his love for you is far more special than just a general love for humanity. He loves you. It's a powerful love for you. And I want you to hear how secure you are in that love that Jesus has for you. Now, remember, all of us were once a part of that world. Not just random people on the earth, but we were a part of that opposing kingdom. You do know that before you became a follower of Jesus, you were like the rest of humanity. You are rebellious against the Lord. It's certainly true of me. And it's certainly true of all of us. But driving in this morning, I was just reliving that. Just coming in to preach for the 8 o'clock service and just thinking through the gospel. How is it that I get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ when I was once a rebel against God? Just the kindness of God, just the grace of God that he would forgive me of all of those sins and draw me to himself to be adopted into the family of God. What am I doing being here doing this when I was once a rebel like, like all of humanity? So that's your story as well. You once did not know him, but here you find yourself through God's kindness, his persistent grace in your life. You now believe in Jesus Christ if you are among the believers and now you are his. He loves you. You are secure in that love if you belong to Jesus. Again, see it. Verse 9, I'm praying for them, not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. Again, that distinction. We are his. Don't you love that? You belong to the Father and you belong to the Son. And because you belong to the Father and the Son, we've even learned in this upper room discourse, the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you. You're secure in the unshakable love of God. You can have confidence in a chaotic and confused world because of Jesus. You can have confidence in the face of insults and threats. Jesus sees you. He 
knows you, he understands your circumstances, and he loves you. You are secure in the love of Jesus if you are one of his. In fact, listen to this beautifully in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul said this, listen to the confidence. He said, I am sure, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height or nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can never be taken away from Christ if you are one of his children. You are a believer in him. Three words here that will add to that sense of security that we've been talking about here. First of all, notice with me this word gave or given here. Very significant. Look at verse 9 again. For I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Same idea that we saw last time in verses 2 and 6. Look at verse 2 again. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. There is security in knowing that you belong to Christ. And you think, how do I find myself in Christ this morning? Well, we learned here, the Father gave you to Christ. How secure is that? I'm not a Christian because I up and decided to do that. God was doing this. He gave me to the Son. I'm secure. That word gave should give you some security. But here's another word Jesus uses, and it's the word keep or kept here. Here in the prayer, he prays for his disciples. He prays to the Father, keep them in your word. And Jesus said himself, I kept them in your name. So you are given to Christ and you are being kept by Christ. But there's a third word that should add to this sense of security that you have as a Christian. It's verse 12, this. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. Look at this. I have guarded them. So you cannot be taken away from Christ if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are secure. You are eternally secure in him. Now, here's a verse that's very encouraging also that you're going to want to highlight and memorize. This is John 10, verse 28. So even before the upper room discourse, <clears throat> you have Jesus teaching about this type of security. Look at verse 28, John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Talk about secure. Hear that again. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you hear the security? And the bigger question is, do you have that security? Oh, today, come to Jesus. You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon. Even right now, in the middle of this message, you can say, Jesus, I, I need you. I want to know that I'm yours. I want to know that I'm held and kept by you and guarded by you forever and ever. Jesus makes this security available to you. I think I've already told you before, but I think I'm done with roller coasters. You know, I think it was about five years ago that I rode what I think will be my last roller coaster. I reserve the right to ride again, so don't hold me to this. But I don't have any desire to ride another roller coaster. It's just kind of something done with me. I asked the 8 o'clock crowd, is anybody with me? Is, is anybody getting the gold pass for King's Dominion this year? Nobody was a taker. So 
think we're not going to do it. But when I did ride roller coasters, I liked to feel secure in that thing. I liked it when you could ride the ones with the, with the thick harness over you, like this metal bar, thick, and so, so tight that you're thinking, I think this is too tight. I don't think I can breathe well. You know, I, that, I like to be that tight in there. Um, I'm not sure this is good for my back kind of tight. I like that. The, the volcano used to have that type of thing when they had the volcano. I, I like that. What I don't like is when I would ride the, the, the wooden roller coaster, the one they used to call Rebel Yell. I think it's Racer 76 now. I didn't like that. I used to ride that when he was a teenager. First of all, it's been around a long time. That made me nervous. But when you get in that one, you pull down this little bar across your stomach, and it didn't touch. I, there's a lot of play there. I think I detected rust in the corners, too, of the joints, thinking, I don't, I don't think I like that. And then sure enough, you click up the hill, and I'm thinking, this was a mistake. I don't know why I did this again. And off you go, and all the twists and everything, and, and I'm feeling that bar move. And I'm moving. I'm sliding. I don't like that. I like security. Hey, I'm so glad in the things that really, really matter with my eternal soul to be absolutely, unquestionably secure in what Jesus has done for us, that is available to you if your faith is in Jesus. The world can shake, but you and I are secure in Jesus Christ if we know him. But then we come to this reality. Jesus brings it up in the prayer. What about those who do fall away? What about those who at one time, oh, they acted like they believe in Jesus, but now they hate Jesus. What about them? We come here in verse 12 to Jesus brings up Judas in his prayer. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them. Now this, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus brings up Judas, the betrayer here. Now, remember, we've been studying this upper room discourse over a period of months but this whole discourse, we're told, probably took about five hours. That's how long they were likely in the upper room, having the Passover meal, the Lord's Supper, washing of feet, all that was happening there, five hours. So Jesus had just dispatched Judas, knew Judas was going to betray him. That just happened really, we could say, moments earlier. And now in this high priestly prayer, Jesus brings up Judas. So what about Judas? What about people who used to worship with us? used to go on mission trips with us, maybe went to camp with you, and they've now drifted away from any kind of love for Jesus. Or they might have even stormed away with an absolute rejection of Jesus. What about them? Did they lose their salvation? Could not God keep them also? So again, what about Judas? Was Judas one that Jesus couldn't keep, couldn't guard, he didn't keep secure? No, Judas never was one who belonged to Jesus. See how Jesus describes him here. He calls him the son of destruction. So the one lost one was Judas, who was never a believer. He wasn't in on the name that the father had given here. He had his own name, son of destruction, as the King James famously used the words, son of perdition. Now, remember, Jesus had talked about him earlier in the upper room in chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus talked about him knowing this whole thing that was about to happen. It says this, John 13, 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am, I am he. So here we have Judas leaving, and Jesus is telling his disciples before it happens, I want you to know I'm fully aware. 
This isn't my plan failing. This is exactly how it was going to go. I chose Judas to be among the 12. I did not choose him for salvation, but he's among the 12 for this very purpose. In fact, Jesus even said, this fulfills scripture. Centuries before, here Jesus quotes Psalm 41, that one who would raise up his heel against me. That's a quote from Psalm 41. In fact, Zechariah 11 tells us the price that Judas would get for betrayal. Centuries before, told that 30 pieces of silver. So if you want to talk about another reason why, as a believer in Jesus, you should, you should feel secure, it is the very word of God that Jesus references here. Scripture had to be fulfilled. Even in Judas's betrayal, God's word will not fail to come, come to pass. All the prophecies are being fulfilled, and so you have stability in that. So the point here is, Jesus did not lose Judas. Judas was never his. So back to the question, what about those who fall away? They were once here singing the songs beside us in the Bible studies with us, and now you find them and they hate Christ. They have renounced everything. You think, what about them? Well, the scripture is so helpful here. You like, okay, well, that's like Judas. Judas played the game very well. He was deep in there, part of the inner circle of Jesus, but it was never real for Judas. And that can be true for someone in our day, for many in our day. 1 John 2.19, very helpful here. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So here's the security we have in Christ. When you've met Jesus, when you've had the experience that Jesus describes in John 3, you've been born again, you've been made new by Christ, you can't fall away like that. Impossible. You can fall down, but you can't fall away. You and I would acknowledge, even as believers, we're still suckers for temptation. Temptation comes, sometimes we bite on the temptation and we fall. But here's the newness that we have in Christ. We can't stay down now. Before you came to Christ, you loved your sin and you were not wanting Christ. You might have done the church act because your parents demanded it or something else, but it wasn't real. You, you loved your sin. In fact, there could be somebody here right now. Oh, I love my sin. And when that man stops talking, I am going right back to my life of sin. Listen, be very alarmed if that's you. You've never met Jesus if that's you. Because the genuine believer can fall. The genuine believer, to his own shame, does fall. We fall frequently. But when we're down, we can't stay down. We thought we wanted the sin, but then down in the sin, we are just full of remorse. The Holy Spirit, who now lives in you, makes you very uncomfortable when he discovers things unholy in you. So you took the bait, you fell into sin, you're down, and you're miserable there. I thought this would make me happy. You, you pray prayers like this, Lord, I'm an idiot. What was I thinking? This was so foolish. I fell for that again. Lord, would you please forgive me? You have this longing to be restored to God. And you say, but, but I fail in the same way over and over again. Yes, sometimes we call the Christian life a joyful struggle. I'm falling down. I get up, fall down, but I'm, I'm tracking forward. I'm moving forward. But listen, this is different than the hypocrite. I'm just putting on the act. When I sin, I love it. I, I, have a, I have a hypocritical heart. I'm contented in my hypocrisy. As long as nobody finds out for now, I'm just keeping up the act. That was Judas. That's the mark of one who never, ever knew him. By the way, some unsaved religious people, they will bail 
and they'll go find another church that will teach something other than this. So you might have a person say, well, I'm not giving up on Jesus. I just don't want your Jesus. I, I, I believe in Jesus. I just want a Jesus who's softer on sin than the one that the Bible talks about. Or I'm not done with church. I'm just done with a church like yours. I want to go find a church with a progressive take on morality. One that will teach kind of what the culture's teaching. So I'm not done with church. I'm still a Christian and all that. I'm just going to take another direction here. Listen, that Jesus that you're seeking that's different than the biblical Jesus, he can't save you. He doesn't exist. That's idolatry. So I've told you some of the things that I do on Sunday mornings to get ready to preach, spend time with the, in the Word, spend time in prayer. And then one of the passages I come to most Sunday mornings, certainly over the last year, is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And this, this is what I read to myself before I come here, and it's relevant to this. 2 Timothy 4, 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So some people might wander off. Okay, here's what I want. I don't want that Jesus that's revealed in the scriptures. I don't want that one. I want to go find the Jesus being preached elsewhere that it's okay with me sinning. I want a Jesus who lets me be the Lord of my own life instead of him being the Lord of my life. Give me that Jesus. I want a Jesus who will let me be the vine and he can be a branch in my life rather than him being the vine and I'm attached to him. There is no Jesus like that. The person longing for that has never met Jesus. You would never pivot away from the Jesus who is, who saves, who loves you, who holds you secure. You'd never leave him if you've ever met him. You'll fall, but you won't fall away if you know Jesus. Well, we're just talking about security here. Knowing Jesus offers security, but notice this also. Knowing Jesus offers joy. Knowing Jesus offers joy. Look at verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Don't you love that Jesus wants your joy? So when you maybe today are contemplating, okay, I think I need to give my life to Jesus. Don't think for a moment by making the decision to follow Jesus, you're giving up on happiness and joy. That's how it might be. Like, I, I think, well, I guess fun's over. Now I'm going to have a dreary life of drudgery now as a Christian. That's not what Jesus is calling you into. He's calling you to joy. He said, I want them to have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And this isn't the only place Jesus speaks like this. Even in the upper room, he's brought this up time and again. Here's John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Or John 16, 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then John 16, 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. 
Verse 24, he says, until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Oh, come to Jesus today to experience his peace, to experience hope, and to experience this joy that you've been seeking all of your life. And don't believe Satan's PR. So Satan has done a great job in the world convincing people that his way is the path to your greatest fulfillment. Throw off the word of God, throw off this savior, throw off this other Lord, and you do your own thing and you're gonna find happiness. Satan has, has presented himself as the one who's the ultimate one for your fun. And it's all, of course, a lie. It's all an illusion. Think about what Satan's trying to lead you into. He's trying to lead you into hatred and murder, into immorality and adultery, into stealing, into drunkenness and addiction, into arrogance, into self-centeredness. None of those things bring anyone any joy. Joy is found in Jesus. Today, repent of whatever else you've been chasing to try to find fulfillment. Turn from that and come to the Savior who says, I want you to have your joy full in you. But then one more point this morning, and it takes us back to verse 10. Notice here, Jesus once again brings up his glory. Verse 10, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. As the disciples of Jesus, we are here to give him glory. Jesus is able to speak about his 11 remaining disciples here, and he's able to say, they have been glorifying me. And they're certainly going to glorify me. After the resurrection, they're going to testify to him, and they're going to take the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Oh, they glorified him. Listen, that is our mission as well. Last time we were together, we likened that glorifying him to shining a spotlight on him. And all of us, I hope this past week you've been thinking about that. I want to stay behind the spotlight and not seek to get in front of the spotlight. I want to shine the beam of glory on Jesus alone. I want everybody in my life to know Jesus is the great one. Jesus is the giver of life. Jesus is the giver of joy. I want to shine the light on him. In fact, that's the most loving thing you can do in your life is to point other people to the greatness of Jesus. Is that true of you? Are people hearing of the worthiness of Jesus through your words and through your life? Are people, people discovering the greatness of Jesus, the great satisfier of our souls? Are people picking that up from your life because you just keep shining the beam? You keep putting the focus and bringing the attention to Jesus. That is our role. One of our members did this quite well this week on social media. And with her permission, I want to share with you what Mary Siddons, one of our ladies, put out on social media. I thought it was a great example of what it looks like to point the glory to Jesus. Mary wrote this. Twelve years ago, I made a decision to surrender my life to Jesus. On that day, I didn't fully know what that meant. At the time, for me, it simply meant I wanted to raise my child in a church. But God... But God, he had much bigger and better plans for me. He took a lost and broken soul and made it whole again. He allowed me to forgive and leave things from my past that I never thought I'd be able to escape from. I'm still continually a sinner in need of Jesus. But I'm able to move forward gracious and also thankful for his saving grace. He brings beauty from ashes. And I feel so loved knowing that I have Jesus in my life. I'm living, breathing proof that Jesus can change lives. That's awesome. That's stepping behind the spotlight and said, oh, look at my Savior. 
Look what he did for me, and I'm proof he can do it for you. Do you know the Savior that Mary just glorified there? Do you know him? Because he desires to save you as well. I don't think it's accidental that you're here today to hear this good news. I don't, I don't think it's accidental for those watching the live stream that you just happen to be with us still at this point in the message. Oh, would you turn to Jesus? Would you experience that going from ashes to beauty to go from without hope to having hope, from being lost to being found? Jesus can do that for you. And then you will join us in saying, and it's all about him. Let me point other people to him. This whole world needs this savior. This whole world needs this security in this savior.